Well, good morning. morning. And happy birthday. You didn't know it was your birthday, did you? Um, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples um, 10 days after Jesus had risen into heaven. Um, and they, they received the Spirit and they went out into the streets proclaiming the gospel. And thus we have the beginning of Christ's church, the birthday of the church. I want us um, for a minute just to imagine that, that, that scene on Pentecost. I won't say it was the first Pentecost. Pentecost um, is actually a Jewish holiday, um, a holiday where the, um, many pilgrims would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest, those first crops that they could harvest, and, and, and that they would often dedicate, or they would dedicate to the Lord. And the disciples were in Jerusalem too with these crowds and crowds of pilgrims. But they weren't enjoying the festivities. In fact, they remained locked up in the upper room for at least 10 days at this point since Jesus had left them. And right before he left, he had told them, he said, I'm going to my father. Wait. Wait until you receive power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes. And then you will proclaim the good news to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples were waiting and waiting ten days. Some were certainly waiting patiently and prayerfully. You know the types. They can sit and pray and pray and pray and that's okay. Others were probably waiting very impatiently. Okay, God, come on, come on, let's go. You know, type A people, you're out there. Then on that Pentecost morning, while they were waiting, while they were praying, the Holy Spirit arrived. It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There were divided tongues of fire resting on the foreheads of the disciples. And the proclamation of the great deeds of God was pouring forth from their mouths in languages that they did not speak. Languages that they did not understand. The Holy Spirit drives them out of the room onto the streets amidst the pilgrims of Jerusalem. Certainly amidst maybe even some of the religious leaders that would still love to have them arrested. And they proclaim the mighty works of God in all the languages of the Mediterranean world. And the crowds are amazed. They're astonished. What is this we are hearing? These works of God proclaimed in, in our own languages? Are these not Galileans? Certainly they don't speak my language. And yet we hear them and understand. And so many were wondering, what could this mean? What is the significance of this? What what does this mean for us? And still others mocked them. Certainly these disciples are drunk. And so Peter stands up and he rebukes them. No, these men are not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And he proceeds to deliver the greatest sermon ever recorded. As a result of Peter's sermon later in Acts chapter 2, we see that 3,000 are converted 
to faith in Jesus Christ and added to the number of the rapidly growing church. Do you remember, by the way, our um, confirmation service last week? We had 40 people. Yeah, can you imagine 3,000? <clears throat> it would be a long service. <laughs> yeah, I have a word for you later in the sermon. <laughs> What are we going to make of this remarkable account of the sending of the Holy Spirit? What are we going to do with this? Well, I want us to see two things. I'm going to have some diagnostic um, questions for you, um, things to think about uh, for yourself. Um, The first thing we need to see is the Holy Spirit is ushering in an era of God's grace. It is a new way of God relating to His people with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now it's tempting in this passage, right, to look at it, to see the disciples, to see the speaking in tongues, and to see the the tongues of fire, and use it as a paradigm for our experience of the Holy Spirit. It goes something like this, this happened to the disciples, it should happen to us. I just want to say this morning, that's not what this passage is about. Are there areas in Scripture that that tell us about the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely, by all means. But here, I would say it's even something greater. Something that even the gifts are pointing to. And it's the work of God in Jesus Christ and through His Holy Spirit. This is a new era of relating to God. Now, just as a reminder, do you remember the old era, the old way of doing things? Um, Salvation, membership, and the people of God, well, it was marked by a couple things. It was marked by your ethnic identity, okay? If you were a um, Hebrew, a, a Jew, you would be in the nation of Israel and a member of the people of God. It was marked by the covenant sign of circumcision, and it was marked, once you, were, once you were in, it was marked by the keeping of the law, by doing things the right way, the way that, that, that is not only the way that is set out in Scripture, but in multitude of other ways that they had developed over time. The old era of relating to God was mostly dependent on um, who we were born into, what family we were born into, and how we behaved. But in this new era, the era of the Holy Spirit, the era of Jesus, salvation, membership in the people of God is is marked by faith in Jesus Christ. The sign of it is, is baptism. And the mark of this faith is the Holy Spirit writing the law of God on our hearts. Now, until this point in, in, in the story of, of salvation, the Holy Spirit really only appeared to certain people at certain times for certain situations. Yes, he's, he's been very active throughout Scripture. We see him in the first verses of Genesis. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit did not fall on everyone. He fell on men like David, Moses, fell on the prophets. He fell on um, many faithful women followers of God in the Old Testament. But it was always for specific work to these specific people. But there's hints of something more to come. So you have in Ezekiel um, promises that the Spirit of God will fall on people and change their hearts. 
He'll take their hearts of stone and melt them and transform them into hearts of flesh. Or we have the, uh, the prophet Joel, whom Peter quoted in our passage this morning. And Joel says, says, for God, he says, one day I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And even your male and female servants will have the spirit of God. And that's what we're seeing in Acts this morning. Is this new age inaugurated here with the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit and going out and proclaiming the mighty works of God. And then throughout Acts, we see people receiving the Holy Spirit and proclaiming God and receiving the Holy Spirit and proclaiming God until one day this gospel would reach to the very ends of the Roman Empire. Our passage in Acts is the fulfillment of this promise. It is a new way of relating to God. So that then is the first sort of diagnostic question for you. How are you relating to God? Many of us want to relate to God actually in the old way, right? We like our rules. We like our lists. We like to check them off. We find our identity as a churchgoer, perhaps a member of St. Paul's Somerville, Our family dates back here for 200 years. Our identity is defined in our ability to behave correctly. And so we go through life and maybe we're coming to church every Sunday. Maybe we're in a Bible study every week. But our hearts could be stone cold to the grace and love of God. And we can be checking off our identity based on how well we follow the rules. Others, perhaps, are relating to God actually by turning from Him completely. I'm going to relate to God by ignoring Him. Or maybe you haven't even considered this question of relating to God. And so, you're going through life and you're turned away from all of this on Sunday morning. You're here because, I don't know, you just, you just do. That's what you do on Sunday mornings. Perhaps you're even apathetic to God entirely. Your heart, too, remains stone cold to the work of God and the work of the Spirit. The point I want to make this morning is this. All of us are relating to God in one way or another. No matter what you're doing, whether you're following the rules or ignoring them, you are relating to God. And if you relate to God in one of those ways, you will end up having to justify yourself your behavior, your actions, day in and day out. You're either proving yourself to God, look God, I'm good enough, count me in, or you're proving yourself to this world, look world, I'm good enough. Consider me as one of the cool people. Either way, you will fall short, and you will spend the rest of your life exhausted Exhausted from proving yourself, either to God or to man. Is there a remedy for this? 
Well, we see it in the remainder of Peter's sermon. We didn't read it um, this morning, but this, this great sermon from Peter. He goes on. So after telling them what we read this morning about the prophecy of Joel and this new age of the Spirit, he goes on to tell them about Jesus Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And when we get to verse 36 in Acts chapter 2, he, he convicts them. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. The Holy Spirit is the beginning of Jesus' reign on earth. He is Lord and Christ. And the natural response to that for the listeners of, of Peter's sermon, and it should be our response as well, they are absolutely terrified. This Jesus, whom they crucified, is now king of the whole world. And certainly he's coming back, right, for judgment. They're terrified. But the good news is this. This King Jesus, okay, Lord and Messiah, is the same Jesus who was crucified for who? For us. Who gave up his life that our sins might be forgiven. Who offers us new life through his resurrection. This crucified Jesus, dead, buried, and now risen and ascended, has sent his Holy Spirit that we might be in relationship with God through him. The Lord in Christ who rules and reigns is also the Lord in Christ who forgives and pardons. How are you relating to God this morning? Are you trusting yourself? Or are you going to trust in the one who died for us? That's the first question. How are you relating to God? Secondly, so we've got this new era, right? A new way of relating to God. And the second thing about this is um, when we relate to God in this way, the Holy Spirit will bewilder the crowds. Um, if, you, if you were looking in Acts chapter 2, verses 6 to 12, you would see three or four times these words used over and over again. The crowds were bewildered. They were amazed. They were astonished. The crowds were amazed and perplexed at the words coming from these disciples, at the languages being spoken, at the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit has driven them onto the streets and he's given them voice in foreign language and it absolutely baffles the crowd who witness it. Absolutely baffles them. Some wonder what it means. Others wonder if these men are drunk. But all of them are amazed and intrigued by this thing that was happening around them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit has been working like this in the lives of Christians from the very first days of the church. And so we see it in, like, for instance, in the early church. The pagan Romans would look on these people who called themselves Christians and think, what is wrong with them? They love each other in such an amazing way. They care for the outcasts and the poorest of society. How perplexing. Or more recent times, the, the East African revival, right, in the early 1900s. The Holy Spirit fell on East Africa and caused a great awakening of faith. It caused men to confess their sins to each other. And, and, and it caused a whole 
outpouring of the work of Christ that would change a continent. And people would look at these men and women and they were perplexed and intrigued. What is it about them? How about even just last summer, right? The families of the victims of the Emmanuel church shooting, they stood before their murderer, the murderer of their husbands, the murderer of their wives, the murderer of their children. What did they say to him? I forgive you. I forgive you. Who does that? That's not a natural reaction. And the world looked at them. All the eyes of this country was on these men and women. And they were perplexed. They said, what does this mean? How could they, how can they do this? What love they are showing. And so others said, well, that's nice, but they should really be demanding justice. So they said, I forgive you. The second question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is this. Is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in the life of this church, is it bewildering the crowds? Is it bewildering the crowds? Are people looking at us, St. Paul's, and saying, those people are different? There's something there that I don't understand. Or do they look at us and think we just look like everyone else? Going through this rat race of life, building up our own personal possessions and gains to the expense of others. What is it? Did they see when they look at us, church? Are we bewildering the world? Now, if you want to be bewildering the world, there's a certain way to do it. Notice what the disciples were doing. What, 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 what um, Luke highlights when he's writing this book of Acts. He doesn't say, you know, they were going in the streets and performing all these miraculous signs. That doesn't mean they don't by any means. But what does Luke highlight in this passage that we need to say, need to see? Verse 4. Um, they, were all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, um, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, let's see. They were amazed and astonished, the crowd was, are not all these Galileans? And then it goes on to say that they were speaking of the mighty works of God. If you want to bewilder the world, ask the Holy Spirit to fall upon you in a new way so that you might speak of the mighty works of God. In history, in your life, and in the life of this world. What would that look like if we all left here loving each other and speaking of the mighty works of God? So those are your questions, friends, this morning. Um, I invite the worship team to come on up. Um, how are you relating to God? How are we relating to God? And are we bewildering the crowds? Some of you here this morning are exhausted. 
Is that you? Are you tired? I mean, are you just completely exhausted? You're tired of proving yourself, whether it's to God or to other men. And some of you here, your faith has gone stale, perhaps, or you're thirsty. And you want to bewilder the crowds, but you don't know how. Well, the answer to that is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we're just going to take a moment now. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can stand and sing. You can sit and pray. You can do whatever you want. But, but, but if this has been convicting to you, if, if you... If you're ready, if you would like the Holy Spirit to ignite that flame in your heart again, then now's the time to ask for it. You can ask for the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. You can ask for the Holy Spirit to enable you to bewilder the crowds. But whatever it is, take a moment and reflect on what the Holy Spirit is doing or wants to do in your life and invite him to respond or let you respond to that.